0: Some years ago, I was leading a Bible study and was in Disciple Bible Study, which was populated with a number of faithful members of the church who had experienced varying degrees in their own life and their fruitfulness. we were been studying some of the scriptures in Matthew at the time, some of the parables. One of the parables was about a, a man who entrusted his goods to Three different kinds of servants and two of the three took what they had been given and invested it in the work in such a way that it bore fruit. And when the master returned they was able to return to him, return to him what he had given them plus what, their, what it had earned. One man however took his talent and was it in a field because he was so afraid that the master would be harsh in judging what he did. And sure enough, the master came back, and when what he had given the servant had not borne any fruit, he was so upset that he did punish the the servant. As we studied that text, one of the young men in the group, the young vice president of the local bank, was very disturbed by it, and he just kind of brought it up and said, you know, that that felt pretty harsh. That felt pretty strong. You know, he just really never thought about it quite that straightforward and I I said well what do you mean you've never really thought about it and he said well I just guess I never really realized that God expects something from me God expects something from me from my life and so we I was kind of shocked that he Would be raised in the church and a part of the church for so long and somehow it had escaped him that being a follower of Christ being a disciple of Christ was more than just accepting the gift of heaven and trying to be pretty good but actually the giver of the great gifts had expectations that his investment in his children would return something to the Lord We would call that something if we were thinking about it in more general terms. That's something that God is respecting fruit. Fruit that glorifies God and means something to the kingdom. So I think it's an appropriate question for any individual who is a follower of Christ and also any group of individuals to regularly ask themselves the question Am I bearing fruit? in your groups where you meet as triads and quads, in your Sunday school classes, in your choir rooms, in your youth meetings, in your children's Sunday school classes, it is appropriate for you to be discussing at varied times and in various ways your reply to that question, are you bearing fruit? Are we fruitful? Now the Christian life in Scripture is often described in Uh, metaphorical terms it helps us grasp difficult theological concepts that Jesus is talking about and I don't want to talk about that this morning and I really want you to feel it that way as a discussion rather than as a sermon because the topic is heavy enough I'm not trying to burden you down nor am I full of jokes this morning and just kind of warning you That this morning is more of a lot of information I just want to share with you as a background for some of the work that we'll be doing together in the coming months. Because you see, today's passage is is, uh, a part of Jesus' final, what is called, His farewell discourses in the Scriptures. Another way of talking about it is it includes part of the I Am sayings of Jesus. Jesus used these metaphors, I Am, uh, to... uh, Bring strength to the disciples that he was soon going to, going to leave because he knew these parting words would serve a purpose, part, parting words would serve a purpose in their life. And he wanted it to strengthen these followers after his uh, coming death that he knew was around the corner. You see, the power of a metaphor is that it points to something else. And Jesus used these metaphors to give them something to hang on to so that when he was gone and suddenly from their midst, that they would be able to hold on to these thoughts. Metaphors like bread and light, door, shepherd, life, the way, the truth, and, of course, from the passage that Shiv read this morning, the vine. They all point to relationships. The words in themselves and the metaphors have power in the way that they relate to the relationships we experience on this earth, relationships we have with God, relationships we have with His Son, Jesus the Christ. Relationships that we have with the Holy Spirit. Relationships that we have within the body of Christ. And yes, even the relationships, and I would say especially in the relationships that we have with the people who are not a part of the body of Christ. A metaphor. Jesus is the true vine. That's what he said. That's what have read. Abide in the Father. That's what Jesus did. He abided in the Father, and so as he prepared to leave, he said, abide in me. It's not unlike what parents tell their, their youth when they've grown up and they're as young adults about to go off to college, right? What do we tell them to do when you go off to college? Live the way you were taught to live at home. And of course, that's what we all do, right? 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 Pretty weak for y'all, pretty weak. <laughs> That's not exactly what all the youth do when they leave, right? Uh, sometimes something comes over you as you get a little older. You get ready to go off to college, and your foremost thought is not live the way I've been living. Your foremost thought is free at last. Thank God Almighty. I'm free at last. Now, I get to decide when I go to bed, and I don't. Now, I get to decide what I eat, and you eat whenever, all hours of the night. I get to decide if I'm going to study or not. And that's true, at least to the grades come back to your parents. You get to decide so many things, and you don't always jump off at that part and remember to abide in the way of life that my parents taught me. It is, are you listening? It is the most important moment in your life. And you have every possibility and huge probability of turning and going the other way. The numbers are horrendous about young Christians who go off to school on their own for the first time. And the most important thing in their life is their freedom, not who they are. And to whom they belong. It's where terrible things happen to them. And for many of them, it takes them years to recover. And some of them, they never recover at all. So this abiding in me, Jesus said, I abide in the Father, and you have to abide in me. Because you are the branches of the tree. As he talks about this and makes this very stark and clear, and this metaphor of the vine dresser is kind of to us like a tree maybe perhaps more than a vine we don't have a lot of vines around here but the other day I happened to be driving across past a small vineyard and the story of this passage just kind of leapt out at me as I was driving by because here was all these ugly gnarly stumps in the ground with most of the vines trimmed back they were young it was a young vineyard so the The vines were trimmed back so that the root, the trunk, would continue to grow strong until it gets old enough and ready to bear the kind of branches that it needs to bear in order that it might uh, bear the fruit, the grapes that were to come. Now, I liken this to the overall truth of Scripture, not just in this passage, but in everything else that's going on in it. It is to point to relationships because this book is about relationship. It is only about relationship, quite frankly. Everything in it is for the purpose of relationships that we have to creation as well as to one another and certainly to the creator as well as to believers and others who are not. You see, belief begins at that point. If you understand the Christian life at its beginning, then again, let your mind flow just a little bit. Don't worry about the chapter and verse, but... When Jesus was talking about the kingdom, what is one of the things he said? He said that the kingdom of God is like a, a mustard seed, right? A little tiny seed that when it's planted in the ground, it grows up and becomes a tree with branches all around, right? You remember that, that metaphor, that kingdom metaphor? And that is the way the Christian life happens as well. It is planted in a seed inside those who believe, and it begins to grow at the point when people began to actually Enter into voluntarily that relationship with their God through faith in Jesus Christ. We call that justification, of course. It's when we accept the grace that God has offered to us and our sins are forgiven and we become a willing, active participant in the kingdom of God. We become a follower of Jesus, if you will. It's at this point that the first fruit in our lives begins. We, we begin then to be not just this person, but rather this person who is actively involved in a relationship with God through Jesus. And we become like a tree. We become a growth product, if you will. We become a fruit of the work of our parents, perhaps our Sunday school teachers, perhaps friends. But once we've accepted Christ as our Savior, it is because someone has helped us with the watering of that seed until it took root and began to grow. And once that root begins to grow, it branches out like a tree. You see here a tree. And here's a tree that looks mighty beautiful, doesn't it? I mean, it's a tree with a trunk. You see the branches. By the way, the branches in this passage are us. It's the believers. As long as the believers, the branches, stay united to the trunk or the vine, if you will, that it's going to produce fruit, even the kind of fruit you see here. And that fruit begins small and kind of insignificant at an appropriate age. But as we grow older and as we study more and open ourselves more, it becomes like a large fruit. Now, how important is this? Let's take a small child. Let's go back to a small child. What is one of the things that you learn as a, the parent of your first child? One of the things you learn, now I know you thought, man, I've got a hundred lessons I can tell you. Well, I don't have time for those hundreds, so let me give you one. One of the things you learn is that when you start rewarding things that your child does when they're small, it oftentimes is so cute. And sometimes the things were rewarded when they were so small, it was so cute, or not so cute when they get older, right? If you're not saying yes, you don't have any children. You know what happens when a child is small and they do something that's so cute, like they reach up and they slap you and you go, oh, that's so cute, you know? And they go, oh, you like this, huh? And they slap you again and you say, you like that? And then three weeks later, they're older and stronger. It's not so funny anymore. You see, what happens is a child learns to please his parents. He loves to do exactly what makes them laugh and hug him and and fuss over him. Any child, she loves to do that. She loves to please her father. She loves to glorify, if you will, the parents. And what parent does not love it when their child is cute, right? And it doesn't matter at whose expense because, after all, they're young. They're cute. My grandson, I had the privilege and the responsibility, they tell me, of keeping him yesterday when everybody else was busy but me and grandson. Okay, what do you do with a grandson when he's three and a half years old and you've got him all but most of the day and everybody's gone? You know, you're left to your devices. First of all, I had to get my normal orders. You know what those orders look like? My wife had to remind me, of course, about all the things I needed to do. And my daughter had to remind me about how hard it was to take him out in public because I had mentioned we were going to go run some errands. And, you know, they were both panicking. I said, you know, y'all can just go on. I'm good here. We've got it. We men can take care of it. Don't worry. They left. Yeah, that's what happened. So I knew he was, you know, so-so about running the errands. And so I did what any well-meaning man does when he's taking one of his grandchildren somewhere. and He's worried if they'll be restless. I said, when we're going, while we're out, we'll get you a, yeah, toy. I said the word. We're going to get you a toy. We are? yeah yeah so we left the house I had about three errands I was going to do before I went to the toy store (laughs) yeah you've had children right is that the toy store no no that's not it yet 20 seconds later is that the toy store no no that's not it I was going to go over here toy store first let's go to the toy store first by now I knew I was in trouble I knew I was going to have to go to the toy store first. You know what's going to happen after he goes to the toy store? First of all, he's going to take forever to pick out a toy. Forever. How can a a three-and-a-half-year-old have that many ideas? He picked at everything, and he said, lift me, lift me, because he wanted to see the toy on the top shelf. He's getting heavy, by the way. Over and over. I went to Toys R Us. What a fool I was. (laughs) I should have gone to the drugstore where they had three toys. No, I went to Toys R Us. I mean, you know, it's my grandson. This is our day. We went to Toys R Us back and forth, up and down, every hour. What does he do? What does he do? What does that do? What does this do? I heard that question a hundred times. Finally, I said, you better find something that does something because I'm leaving. (laughs) Find a toy. I wanted to please him and look what I got myself into. Now I want to ask you a question. Are you that eager to please your Lord? I was so eager to please him. He was so eager to please me. And then when he got the toy, all he could think about was going home and opening it so we could play with it. He could hardly wait. Me? I could hardly wait until everybody saw what a good toy Papa could buy. Miller because I bought him a big old toy of course my wife was not real happy with that they had spent the whole day getting rid of about half his toys without his knowing it while I kept him (laughs) and like good mothers who had a room full of toys and they're making room for a second child they got rid of a lot of the toys especially the big stuff that took up all the room and what do I do I come back in with a big thing and she said how big is the toy and I said oh Pretty big. But it made him so happy. And that made me so happy. And I really didn't care if mama or wife liked it or not. Don't tell my wife, she's in the building. But the reality is, when we're young and we're so eager to please, that is the essence of being a Christian. We need to love to bear fruit. Because that pleases our God. You must abide in the vine so that you will bear fruit. The scripture says in John that that brings glory to the Father. Glory to the Father. Fruitfulness is not something we might accomplish, fruitfulness is at the very heart of what it means to be a follower of Christ. Now, there are a lot of church members, and they're mostly fans, they're not really followers. Just like the book says, you can buy at the store, any Christian bookstore. Fans love to cheer on the winning team. Followers support the winning team. And I don't know if that's in the book or not, but if it's not, it should have been. Followers of Jesus Christ are in it to glorify God, not themselves, to bear fruit. How do you bear fruit? First of all, when you are that fruit attached to those branches up there as long as you abide and stay attached to those branches amazing things happen first of all the fruit is still part of the tree right and it begins to grow and get larger and more abundant it begins to get stronger in its appeal to those who see the fruit fruit of the spirit are just like that in our lives The Scripture says that it's the Holy Spirit in Galatians 5.22 that produces in us not works of the flesh but works of the Spirit if we live by the Spirit. And those are love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness, faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. There are nine of them. Some scholars believe that the first three are about attitudes in our mind. The second three are about... The, how these qualities affect our relationships with others. And the last three, again, uh, describe general qualities that guide our conduct. I'm not so sure about all that. Some scholars like to write it, but you know, you got to put something in books when you're going to write them all the time. But really, I know this the nine fruit are meant to be produced in all of us. And we don't work and somehow do good and get merit badges. God hands us out a little love and hands us out a little joy. These are the fruit that the Holy Spirit produces in us as we abide in the vine if we do not abide in the vine you take that apple when it was small and pull it off that tree and break that connection and that apple will shrivel up and die and when you go off to college if you pull yourself away from the vine that is the church of Jesus Christ your faith is going to shrivel up and die or it's going to get so personalized that it's just you and Jesus on the road to happiness and that's a bunch of baloney your faith is lodged in the church of Jesus Christ, period, the body of Christ. When you separate yourself from the body of Christ from worship, from study, from sharing and participation, you've left yourself alone out there. Yes, I know. There are people on the web they are writing all this stuff. And they call it really good advice and good spiritual teaching. And they're telling you how you don't need the church. All you need to do is stay close to Jesus. Well, let me tell you something. i want to tell you the truth. Just like Jesus said, I am the truth. This is the truth. They're wrong. They're wrong. I don't care they're your best friend. I don't care how many scriptures they can quote you. When they tell you that you can abide in Jesus without the church, without the body of Christ and fellowship within it, worship within it, it is the lie of the last 30 years that has been perpetuated in the church of Jesus Christ and all around us. People can be Christians and never come to church. That's amazing, isn't it? I know some Cowboy fans who've never watched a Cowboy football game. I never believed they were a fan, much less a follower. They're just all around if it's convenient. They're not real. I never believed that you could be a member of a church by being a fan and kind of being around it. No, you got to jump in and get involved. So if you're sitting here this morning and you're wondering, are you bearing fruit? I'm wondering too. I don't know you. I'm not prejudiced. I'm excited about the people who are coming up to me. Just like this morning, a couple of young ladies wanted to tell me about one of the ministries they're involved in. You know what they wanted? They wanted an appointment. They wanted to sit down and talk about the ministry they're involved in and get my ideas about it. I thought, great, and I thought we'd do that next week, but I couldn't turn away because they kept right on going. They had me cornered. (laughs) That's all right, girls. I loved it. But what they wanted to do is make sure I understood that this ministry was producing fruit. 10 new believers from that one ministry alone who would probably never have heard the gospel had they not been a part of this ministry through this church. I'm hearing exciting things about ministry in Cambodia and how many people are being touched over there, how many people have found Christ, how many churches are being built where we can remain abiding in the vine. Now, it's good to have this fruit within us. I know when I'm feeling loving, don't you? And I do take a report card of myself regularly. Am I more loving now than I was three years ago? Am I more joyful than I was a a year ago? Am I at peace with my world and with my life? And if I'm not, why not? If my life is not an expression of this fruit of the Spirit, what is happening? Has God changed his mind? No. Usually, if those things aren't happening in my life, it's because my abiding has gotten Loose. Loose. I'm not tight with Jesus. I'm tight with my own agenda. I'm tight with doing the things I love to do. I'm not really pouring myself out like I was before. Patience, kindness, goodness. Am I really becoming a better person? Is my character growing Is my goodness a reflection of the righteousness of Christ that lives in me? Am I good just for others to see? Or when nobody's watching, am I good toward my brother and my sister I meet at my work and in my community? Do I have good thoughts, kind thoughts about others? Or is most of my life just consumed with me? Faithfulness, gentleness self-control when these fruit are growing inside of us and they grow and they grow at some point we are so much better a christian than we're meant to be and some people are quite content with the fruit of the spirit to grow within them to the point where they're satisfied with their christian growth because they are better off because they are abiding in god and because they feel closer to god than ever before And sometimes that pertains to the body of Christ as well. Churches become satisfied when the body of Christ that is gathered here is growing spiritually. That is the first fruit of being fruitful, I believe, is the interior growth, the transformation of our own minds and hearts. But what I want to share with you today is that's not all it is. That's simply the first fruit. And you know, fruit looks good. You look at this tree and doesn't that fruit look good? I mean, you know, I can stand here though and look at that tree all day long and I'll never have an apple pie. <laughs> apple pie is exciting to me. I like to think about apples and fruit and what it can be. And you know, when you think about fruit and what it can mean, wouldn't it be nice if you could take that fruit off that tree and it would be some good somewhere else well let me tell you when the Holy Spirit produces that fruit in you it is not just to make the tree good it is to bring glory to God and when that fruit that's inside you begins to affect the way that you live your life outside your body the fruit comes out of you and into the world then that fruit brings glory to God in a second way that is even stronger if you will than the first way You say, what do you mean stronger? I mean this. Christ is excited about you being close to him, you that are saved. But Christ is even more excited when you're so close to him that the fruit that he's producing in you spurs you to acts of faithfulness that causes others who do not believe to believe. Are you bearing fruit? When is the last time that someone came to church, came to Christ, came to a deeper place in their life because of you, because of your witness, because of your word. Because you see, the second fruit of the tree is after we've grown strong, it's become a witness for Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to be careful with that word witness. This second fruit, when it's shared, really does glorify God. It continues the harvest. If you take this fruit and plant it, it becomes another tree. And from that tree become many more fruit. It's just like in CCA. Attendance is down a little bit this, so far this year. So you say, well, what's wrong? Well, I don't know exactly what's wrong. I hadn't been here long enough to know what's wrong. But I can tell you this. Any organization that is beginning to struggle with attendance is a struggle because it's not reproducing itself. While you're all excited about CCA and thinking about that, think about this. Attendance around this place has been about the same. For the last eight or ten years if we are as spiritual and feel as good as we do when we worship together that fruit's got to come off the tree and it's got to be planted in fertile soil around this world so that other people come students bring students to schools by the way when they're private schools everybody's got to go to school somewhere right that had not changed has it then everybody had to go to school when they're young right Yeah, I thought so. You don't have a choice about that. But you do have a choice about where you go to school. If you're going to a school that is benefiting you, that is profitable to you, that offers you something that's important to your life, you can't just keep that information to yourself. If you're a teacher and you teach in such a school and you're a witness to what's going on in that school, how can you not tell children who live on your block? How can you not tell parents what a difference it made in your children's lives when they went to a church-related school? You have to do that. And when you begin to do that, that school will begin to grow, not because the headmaster is great, although ours is, not because our teachers are good, because our teachers are, not because they're winning the football league that they're involved in although I hope ours is but because students and people are telling other people about the good fruit that is coming out of Carrollton Christian Academy that is no different than the fruit we're looking to bear in First United Methodist Church Frisco I used to be in Frisco they're still bearing some fruit over there (laughs) I'm not getting any brownie points for it lately though by the way And I'm not going to get any brownie points for it here because after all, all I'm going to do is what I know to do. And what I know to do is what has been put in me, take it off the tree and offer it to somebody else. And in the world we live in today, this church has got to grow when we begin to witness about the exciting things here that are going on in our lives and the lives of other people in a winsome way then we will experience not just the first fruit of inner fruitfulness, but the secondary fruit of helping others find Christ. It's not through there. There's a third kind of fruit the Scriptures tell us about, and then I'm through. You see, in Matthew 28, another passage of Scripture about fruitfulness... As Jesus was departing there, according to that gospel writer, he said, Go you into all the world, making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, making them Christians, right, bearing fruit. And then he said, teaching them all that I have commanded so that they might grow in wisdom and in knowledge. To me, that is the third fruit that comes from the seed that is planted when it's abiding in the vine. So when you ask yourself the question, am I being fruitful, you have to ask myself, is the fruit of the Spirit growing in my life? Secondly, you have to ask yourself, am I influencing people in a positive way to come into a new and a more intimate relationship with Jesus Christ? Whether it's just their first beginning, whether it's a recommitment, or whether it's finding a church home. Many people are lost right now in this country where Jesus is so popular. You know why they're lost? You do know, right? Turn to your neighbor and tell them, because I need some water. Go ahead and turn to your neighbor. Why are they lost now? And hurry up, because we're about through when y'all get through here. Why are people lost today? You got it? Now you can tell somebody what you just learned, right? That would be called wisdom. I hope some of the wisdom words were this. People are lost today because they believe that relationship to Jesus is only about them and their relationship to Jesus while they're out playing golf, fishing, going to the Cowboys game, or taking it easy when they come home from work. In short, they don't have any time for the church. After all, the church is just an institution, and the society we live in right now, those who are younger than 40, they don't care much for institutions. That includes the church. You don't need the church to know Jesus. That is the most popular thing said now in the world. And in one narrow sense, they're right. You meet Jesus one-to-one someday if you meet him at all. But if you think you can meet Jesus and abide in Jesus by yourself... You lack wisdom and knowledge that comes from this book. If you try to do it on your own, without abiding in the body of Christ, even as you abide in Jesus, you will fail. And you will fool yourself into believing that everybody truly is going to heaven when they die. But it's not the truth. This book knows nothing about solitary Christianity And all of that garbage that's out there being shared in places to make it easy for people to come to know Christ and to remain Christians is just that. It is spiritual garbage. And it is seductive. When the faith is all about me, all about my kids, no need to be a part of the body or to be worried about anybody else, then the fruit of the Spirit is obviously not growing inside that person. When you approach somebody who is not a believer and you approach them without kindness and without gentleness, then they will not hear the voice of the Spirit. They will hear the voice of the legalist. They will hear the voice of a know-it-all, that religious do-gooder who, after all, doesn't do anything much more different than I do day in and day out because I've been watching that rascal for 30 years. He thinks like me. He acts like me. He says the same kind of things I say about other institutions. He goes to church because he thinks it's buying him a seat in heaven. That's what they say. And you know what? They could be right. But they're not going to be right if the fruit of the Spirit has begun to mature in you and become so large and winsome that you can take it from the tree and walk down the street and help your neighbor build his fence on your Saturday off. Or when they're out of town, you can pull their garbage cans in. I'm glad I don't have a towel. And if I did, I'd loosen it. You can even take care of their dog. Oh, well, that'll save them a lot of money, right? Sorry if you're a vet in here. <laughs> the reality is, when you love people, with kindness and gentleness in the way they need to be loved, they will respond to you. My grandson will run through the wall to please you. I'm the one that taught him to roughhouse me and his father. So when he runs into us and it hurts and now that he's three and a half and not one and a half, we are to blame. He is just doing what we taught him to do that causes us to be thrilled as he grows and gets stronger. So does our Lord when we abide in him and produce the fruit he's looking for us to produce. You know, you have an interesting congregation. I'm still on the fringes of it. I'm hearing lots of reports, lots of thoughts. I'm getting lots of figures. Some of them excite me. Some of them, not so much. Some of them give me cause to pause. Because they're symptomatic of the lack of fruitfulness. Symptomatic of the lack of priorities in our lives. Symptomatic that in many ways it's been long-term. Not in a lot of things you do. I see your fruit in worship. I love to worship here. You made my transition from Frisco to Carrollton very easy. Because Sunday morning is a trip. I know a lot of you don't know that because you've worshipped here so long. you think that everybody else worships this way. I know I'm in the dark now, so don't be worried. (laughs) David told me when I walked this way, I'd be in the dark if I didn't stay right there. But I like kind of being in the dark. I like kind of sneaking up on the dark side of people when they don't know it. And in my own gentle way, I work Jesus into the conversation. Not a frontal assault. That wins very few. But just a gentle, loving, caring, listening ear, sharing time with somebody who doesn't know anything about Jesus. Sometimes it's without any words at all about Jesus. Does it matter? Yesterday, my son-in-law, who used to not call himself a Christian in that 30 to 40-year-old group, spent all day long at a training session to do ministry in prison. And he is so excited about that opportunity. Ten years ago, he wasn't even excited about Jesus. He was afraid of the church. But the loving witness of his family that became new to him has enveloped his life, and he has received it without many words for a long time until he was all ready to grow his own tree, produce his own fruit, and make a difference in his world. One person who will affect many others. We have to start that ministry afresh. How are we going to do it? Well, I can't tell you all those answers today because then you'd just send me away and you wouldn't want to pay me. (laughs) And I'm not retired yet, so... (laughs) Little by little, you'll see those ideas that I believe are important about how the church needs to operate. It mean the same things you're already doing, but with slight shifts, slight differences in their attention. Beginning the second Sunday in September, I began a sermon series on how to witness or share the story in today's world that I believe can change the world around you as well as change your own world. Until then, I just have a question for you. Where are you bearing fruit in your life? And where are you not? Let's pray. Holy and gracious God, you are the giver of all fruit. We thank you for it, and we thank you for this time in worship in your presence and for the blessing of your spirit. Now, as we close out this morning's worship and we prepare to sing our closing song, Lord, if there's someone here, anyone who does not know you as Savior, but has received enough seed and enough water and fertilizer that now they are ready to be a small tree planted in the kingdom of God, we hope that they will respond so that the fruitfulness journey that you have planned for them can begin even today. If there's someone here, Lord, who doesn't know you but has found themselves away from your church, away from your body of Christ, not really abiding in you, just claiming you without that intimacy, we pray that they will feel your touch this morning. That they will feel how badly we here at this church would like to join together with them and be the body of Christ together. If they're here, Lord, nudge them to respond as we stand and sing in your presence. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.